as I was thinking about this sermon and I prayed and I said, you know, God, what do you want me to talk about today? I felt like God's response was, why don't you talk about perspective? And if you know me, you know perspective is very important to me. I talk about it all the time. And so my response was, yeah, okay, well, I could do that, but what else you got? And I felt like God's response is, well, how about if you talked about perspectives and connected that to the fall and fall is in the season and, and the um, time of year. And, and so I thought, okay, well, that, I, I, that's what I'll do. Because I think that the fall in Minnesota, um, summers are so important to us that fall becomes this kind of new beginning piece. And we try to jam as much as we can in the summer. And so we, we stop doing certain, certain things and we start doing other things. And, and uh, the fall is, is here. How many of you on Thursday woke up and walked outside your house and thought, here it comes? And, or some of you may have thought what I thought, I wonder where my snowblower is and will it start if I get that out? Because it was freezing. And some of you may have just thought, well, it's, you know, school's starting, it's going to start getting cold, or it's state fair time, and, uh, you know, there's lots of those perspectives. And, and if you've lived in Minnesota very long, I think you oftentimes get that feeling in the fall. But the fall is a time where we start stuff. I mean, you look at um, schools beginning. Our kids started this week already, and there's other kids that uh, won't start till Tuesday. And uh, there's clubs and sports and, and even church activities. If you're on our mailing list, you got several mailings the last couple weeks of new things. You got a life groups brochure. Uh, life groups are simply our, our small groups, and, and we're reinitiating, kind of re-energizing that ministry of saying, can you have a small group of people, not just because it's a small group, but that you're doing life together. And so we're calling them life groups as a way to say, how do we connect with people and how do we um, draw closer to God with them and learn from them and learn with them. The, you also received a women's brochure, if you're a woman in our church, that, that talks about opportunities in the women's ministry coming up. You've heard about the men's fraternity that's beginning, our youth group startup uh, in, a few, in a, just a little bit. And, and all of those things get, get going and get started. And it doesn't take long hanging out with me to know that perspective is important to me. When you hear me talking about the budget, and lately you've been hearing me talk about how the budget is behind in giving. And, but my, my quick response is, but God is a big God. Because I think if we look at the b- biblical teaching about God, it's, it, he will provide and he will do some good things. And so I think we're, we need to balance wisdom and, in what we do, but also God will provide. And, and so God provides, I think, what we need. And sometimes we want God to provide what we want. And that, but that's a whole other sermon on that deal. But, but a lot of times, we, even with the staff, when I work with the staff, um, my response to them frequently is, you're not going to get rich working here, but this will be a place where you come and you, we really want to, we'll work at feeling encouraged and loved. We'll weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and it'll be a place that's, that you get, we value you and your ministry and opportunities that God has provided. And so perspective is very important to me. And, and the, the str- one of the struggles with a message like this, however, is it's really a big picture overview piece. Uh, it's not really drilled down. I won't get a lot of depth and stuff. And so what happens is that makes it harder for the audience. Because in order to learn and to experience some of that, it, it takes some action steps on your part. And uh, it's just too big of a topic to, to figure out in one time, and it's kind of a lifelong experience. And so, but I think if we um, want to target and, and understand the perspective of, of the fall season, I think there are three things that we need to look at as perspectives. And the first one, I think, is the perspective on time. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first what God wants you to do. And I think oftentimes um, busyness becomes an issue for us. 
in thinking about this um, message and preparing for that, I, I came across, I was reminded of the book that Bill Hybels, who's a senior pastor at Willow Creek Church in Chicago, wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And for those of you that have read that, to date you a little bit, that was 20, over 20 years ago he wrote that book. And so I pulled it out and I thought, you know, this is really what we're talking about with, with a perspective on time and seeking first God. That I just want to read just a, a little bit of that book. Cram more in. Start earlier. Work later. Take work home. Dictate on the commuter train. Make phone calls in the car. Use a laptop, computer, and airports. Schedule breakfast, lunches, and dinners for profit. Performance, performance, performance. It's the key to promotion, to compensation increase, to power. In an, if an ordinary car engine turns 4,000 revolutions per minute, a racing motor can turn up to 10,000. The marketplace mentality says, rev that up engine up to 10,000 as soon as you get up in the morning and keep it there until you collapse in the sack at night. Getting caught up in the intense, part can, intense pace can be rewarding. It's exciting when the adrenaline starts to flow and you get on a roll and when your motor starts racing faster and faster. But it leaves precious little time for quiet moments with God. And you don't have to be in business to be overcommitted. People with small children know what it means to do 10,000 RPMs all day long. The pace of single working parents is double or triple that of the rest of us. It is incomprehensible to me how you can meet the incessant demands of work all day and then go home to face an even more incessant demands of their children with never any time out. I see pastors, elders, church board members operating at the same relentless pace. And I ask myself, where does the still, small voice of God fit into our hectic lives? When do we allow him to lead and guide and correct and affirm? And if this seldom or never happens, how can we truly lead, how can we lead truly authentic Christian lives? Authentic Christianity is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people marching the same way. It is not simply humanitarian service to be the less fortunate. It is a walk, a supernatural walk with a living, dynamic, communicating God. Thus, the heart and soul of a Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. And I think oftentimes, as we talk about a perspective on time, we have too much of a good thing. Work has become, you know, as he describes, work, work, work. And, and sometimes that um, has become worse lately, I think, with the economy. There's, you're running more and more lean staff, and, and you're just demanding more and more um, energy to produce the same amount you used to produce. And I think you can look at things like, you know, Facebook and TV and Internet, and I could stand up here for a long time and talk about percentages of time that we're putting into those things. And, and there are good things with that. I just went to a high school reunion, and, and everybody except me and maybe a couple other people were on Facebook, and they talked about, oh, well, you know, we did this. You can see the pictures on Facebook. And, well, you should be on Facebook. Then we can communicate. And, and, and there's some good things about that. But the question is, is it too much of a good thing? And when is it too much of a good thing? I think there are cultural rules. I think the culture tells us sports is number one. I think it tells us wealth is number one. I think it tells us health is number one. All of the things that, that the world values, you have to prioritize. And one of my struggles with that has always been, you can't have, by definition, more than one number one priority. There has to only be one. It, there can't be two. And I think if God says, but seek his... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think that creates a challenge for us to say, what is that number one priority? And are we letting those other things in? I think we can also look at um, church and Bible study being an issue with that. 
I think if you look at Jesus' time, the Pharisees were people, leaders of the church that said, we're going to spend all our time learning about who God is and learning about the Bible and that kind of thing. And to the prevention of any sort of authentic lifestyle. Jesus constantly said, you know all this. It's knowledge. You're doing all these Bible studies and things. But where's the application? Where's the authentic Christian life that you're learning what God wants you to do and then having the courage to carry that out? And I think, you know, we have, uh, even in our church, we have, you know, BSF will start this week, and we have 100 more women coming on Tuesday morning, and our parking lot will be jammed, and uh, CBS will start uh, um, on Tuesday nights, and, and they have a great ministry here. And we have uh, life groups, um, which is a new priority, or that renewed priority I mentioned, or adult education. We have youth group stuff. It's all good things. But the question is, is it too much of a good thing? When does that become too much of a good thing? And when can we, when does it prevent us from having an authentic walk with Jesus where we slow down to hear what he tells us? Matthew 22 talks about this as well. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I think God is pretty clear about priorities. We see seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We see what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's and closely related to that is love others as yourself. And I think too much of a good thing sometimes prevents us from doing the things that we are supposed to do. We don't have time for our neighbors because we're on Facebook, or we don't have time for our family because we're working hard. And, and I've experienced that even in my own life. This last couple of weeks, um, this is one of the things I love about preaching is God goes, uh, here's a point. Now, here, see how that works? Now, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Um, and I have two neighbors, one on one side that grew up in the home and uh, went away and got married and had a different house, and now he's moving back into that house and doing some remodeling. And so I haven't seen him in a while. And I have another friend across the, a neighbor across the street that has had, he goes to Hawaii for the winter, so I don't see him most of the winter. And, uh, but he has had some medical issues with his face and some, some precancerous cells. And, and so one day I walked out and Bruce, the guy that's doing the remodeling, I saw him and I thought, oh, I haven't seen Bruce in a while. I should go see how it's going. Well, he's giving me a tour of his house and remodeling, which I'm really interested in. But at the same time, I'm going, well, I was supposed to be meeting Delana in a little bit here. I should, uh, I should probably keep moving. And, and so it really was a struggle for how much do am I allowing in my schedule to value my interaction with Bruce. I walked the very next day, I walked across, and um, Jack is our other neighbor, and I saw him, and he was telling me about his medical things. And, and the whole time, I'm sitting there going, I'm supposed to be at work right now, and this is the only time I'm going to see Jack in several weeks. And so, do I spend time with Jack? Do I show up at work late? How does that work? And so, I think with our perspective on time, there's too much of a good thing that sucks us dry a little bit on allowing us to do other things. And I think there's also not enough of a good thing sometimes. Deuteronomy talks about this. I think, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, uh, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so not only do we, with the perspective on time, do we struggle with too much of a good thing, sometimes when it's not enough of a good thing. How many of us are doing this? How many of us are, are uh, loving the Lord your God with all our heart, impressing that upon our children? 
talk about it when we walk around. Put it on the door frames of our house. I think that's a spending time with God it can be a real challenge. I think investment in relationship can be a real challenge. Loving your neighbor as yourself. I think that's that's really difficult. For me, one of the challenges this fall is for me to say I I have um sometimes it's hard for me to be in small groups and things at church and for it not to feel like work. And so I've been haven't been in a small group for a while. And this fall I've been really feeling that God is leading me that, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that a priority, be in a small group. Because I've got to figure out how to do life together with people in this church and for it not to be work for me. But it can be a, a growth thing and, and loving people and encouraging people and being loved and encouraged. And part of that is that authentic life that Heibels is talking about in that how do you do that with other people? Now, one of the things he suggests is that you journal. And that you journal just a page on reflection of yesterday and what God did and then a page on your prayers and, and just get you focused. Kevin Meyer, our lead pastor, is a very good journaler. He journals all the time and God really works, uh, God works in amazing ways through that. And so my commitment this fall is to think about maybe committing to thinking about the journaling at some point. Because I struggle with journaling. I don't like it at all. I'm a fairly verbal person. I don't like to write. I can't I just talk about that instead. And so that's a challenge because what am I putting in my life, um, not enough of a good thing, to say, am I slowing down to let God speak to me? And I think the other thing I think oftentimes is our schedule runs us. We just, it's a description of what the, the Bible said, and that was 20 years ago. We're not 20 years later saying, boy, aren't you glad we're not doing that anymore? Boy, can you imagine 20 years? It'd be a history lesson instead of a challenge for our everyday schedule. And I have this cool little phone that I could be up here preaching, get my emails. If I can get my fat fingers to hit the buttons right, I could be responding to that email while I'm talking to you. I mean, our scheduling ability is amazing. And yet, I think we have to ask the question, what's our perspective on time? How many times do we set that aside? I heard a stat of 70-some percent of adults now sleep with the cell phone next to their bed. Now, some of you use that for your alarm, and I'm sure you all do. But others of you, it's, I've got to be instantly communicated with people. I've got to check my schedule all the time. And our schedule runs off. And I think we see that in Jesus' life where he was in crowds and people were hammering around him. And he took time and he went away and said, I'm going to pray. And his disciples went crazy and where'd you go? How come you do that? And Jesus said, well, because I got to. And I think that's the part that takes work on our part and on your part. Because I think there's ways to do that, but I think God provides us with the Bible that says, gives us instruction, and that's why I'm reading a lot of verses today, just to say, this is what the Bible says about this. I think God also gives us other people, people in our lives that can mentor us and help us, and that's why life groups and things like that work so well. And there are people that have grown in certain ways and fought through and, just, and, and achieved certain things, understandings, that we can surround ourselves with. I think we need to have some people that will give us permission to say no in your life. If you can't find one of those people, my office is down the hall a little bit. Uh, I'm here most Monday through Friday, generally during the day, because I, I love to encourage people to say no. I constantly am talking to people about, uh, you know, to high school kids. Well, you're a senior in high school. Why are you, you hate the trombone? Why are you still paying, playing trombone? My parents. I think that's a challenge, ladies and gentlemen. I think if they hate trombone and have hated it for years, maybe that's not something they should be doing. But I'll stop stirring up things in your home. But I think the Bible 
uh, is a way for us to learn about that. Other people are a way to learn about that. And the Holy Spirit, which I'll focus on on the third point, is, is a way to do that. And God gives us answers to do that. The problem is it's not neat and packaged. It's something we have to put some energy in and figure it out. And so not only do we, I think we have to have the perspective on time, we have, a, have to have a perspective on tood. Tood would be a word from the 90s that's just a shortened attitude, and some of you may remember that phrase. Some of you still may use that phrase about, you know, changing your tood or what's up with the tood or that kind of thing. And I'm using that word for two reasons today. One, it begins with a T, and so any good pastor knows its perspective on time and tood and truth are the three T's, because you want to make that memorable and kind of systematic. The other thing is, my bet is that if I mention tood several dozen times in the next five minutes or so, you will remember that more than if I use the word attitude. So I will interchange tood and attitude together just simply as a memory device. In that later in your home, you can go, what's up with the tood? And then hopefully you'll remember what I talked about and it'll be good. Uh, and I think that um, perspective and attitude is vital for us. Alison Haybison, who is one of the students you've seen up here, if you uh, heard her share one day, went... Um, and she went to, a, um, to Africa on a mission trip. And she made a comment one day that I wrote down because I thought that's so um, interesting, a perspective on attitude. Allison said, I thought the world needed me. So she's out in Africa investing in these people, and she said, I thought the world needed me, but realized what they need is Jesus. I think that's an incredible different attitude. And Philippians 2 tells us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And if you jump to verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing, so you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Well, Jesus, who in very nature was God, humbled himself. I think the word humble, um, we have issues with that word. Because I think humble for us is seen as weakness. It's seen as losing when you could be winning. And so what do you do with that? When you say, well, Jesus humbled himself, being God, humbled himself to die for us. Because he knew that's what we need. Because we knew, he knew God is so big that he's worth the glory, worth serving, worth humbling himself. I think we also, when we look at that, do everything without complaining, I think we have a real issue with complaining these days. And my theory is that's because we live in a world that's unpredictable. We have work that isn't quite like we want it to be. Our church often isn't what we want it to be. Our schools are having so many cuts that we're losing huge departments and things that we really value and we don't want to lose. I think that unpredictable unpredictability of everything in our world leads us to a sense of unrest and unsettledness and leads us to complaining and arguing. And i got to convince you this isn't right. What's the deal? How come I have to put up with this? I never had to put up with this. We shouldn't have to put up with this. I think that's we have a, a, a struggle with complaining and argument. And I think it's an opportunity for us to prioritize the attitude of God. That we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God, kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or we say, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. I just had lunch with a friend on Friday, and we were talking about this, where 
my friend has a lot of self-assurance, and he, he's um, uh, really um, strong in his ability to get things done and accomplished. And, and he was looking and saying, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to understand that I have to give credit to God because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm accomplishing this on my own. And he said, well, and he feels like God led him into a job, and yet most of that job doesn't give him as much fulfillment as it gives him to serve and to invest in other people. And the times that he was making less money are oftentimes where he felt the most connected with God. And he said, what do I do with that? I said, well, I, I think this is where you look at the Bible, you look at other people, and you look at the Holy Spirit, and you come and you say, God, I've got to figure this out. Because you clearly have wired me this way. How can you wire me this way, and now I'm supposed to humble myself? Well, I think Jesus is a pretty good example of that. Jesus, who is very, being in the very nature of God, humbled himself. And so some of you guys have figured that out and done that pretty well, and, and I referred my friend to a number of you, and because that's, there's people that can support us and figure that out with us and work, in the, work um, to understand that. And 2 Corinthians talks about some of this when he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I think that's an interesting perspective when it says, don't have a worldly point of view, but have a ministry of reconciliation, which fits nicely into the no complaining and arguing part, which also fits nicely into being an ambassador for Christ. Because if I'm an ambassador for the United States, there's times where I'm going to have to put aside my personal struggles in order to represent the United States. And I think as we are going to be ambassadors for God, there are times where we're going to have to say, this is what God's priority is. I struggle with that. I don't know how to do that. I challenge that. But if it's a challenge for me, I still got to be an ambassador for who God is. So I think we have a perspective on time as we schedule our lives. What are we scheduling in? What is the first priority? What, is the, what, are, what are we doing to, to make God real in our lives? But also we have the perspective of Tude that says, what is our attitude on these things? Am I going to live life without complaining or arguing? Am I going to live life humbly? Am I going to live my life as a Christ ambassadors and as somebody seeking reconciliation? And I, there's lots and lots of other verses I was looking at. Be thankful can pops up all the time. Live in peace. All of those things. And so I would challenge you to go to the Bible and look at that and say, what should my attitude be like? And when it says that your attitude should be like Jesus, look and say, okay, what was Jesus' attitude? Toward sin and toward other people and toward, toward us. And I think that not only do we have to have a perspective on time and on tude, but we also have to have an attitude on truth. Because the reality, if we are going to have a healthy and God-honoring perspective of our time and our attitude then we need the foundational understanding and belief that God's worth following. Because if God isn't big enough and isn't who he says he is, then who cares what we're scheduling our time? If God is, is small and tiny and he says, seek first the kingdom of God, that doesn't make any sense. We don't care about that. Why should I have the same attitude of Christ if Christ isn't that big a deal? 
And so I would challenge you, the foundational perspective we have to have is the perspective on truth. And if you're here today and you come all the time and you hear us talking about Jesus and, and you still don't get that, then I, I, I challenge you to say, this is the one you got to focus on that. Because God is truth, and if God is truth, then the time and the attitude makes sense. If God is not truth, then who cares? And if you're here visiting today and you have no idea why we're talking about God being a priority or, or you don't get the fact that when we say God of the Bible is the only true God, then come and join us and hang out with us and see why is that? Why do we say that? What's the deal? And I think the Bible is clear in that as in reading it, one perspective constantly dominates is that God is big. And he gave us Jesus to die for us. And he gave us hope because of that. And we find that a lot of, in a lot of verses. Isaiah 40 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Hebrews 7 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you see the message, the attitude there, and the, the perspective of truth that, that God is big? He created the world. He will never grow tired or weary. He's able to save completely. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If one of our struggles is the unpredictability of the world we live in, where are you going to look for predictability? What a great promise. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. God never grows tired or weary. I think we live in a weary, tired world. God never is like that. And so we can look at that and we can look and say, okay, is God big enough to do what he says he's going to do? And we see other verses that we won't look into, but just a list here of, you know, God parted the Red Sea. God saved Daniel from the lion. He quieted a storm. He gave a child to a 90-year-old woman. He turned Saul from persecuting to leading the church. He uh, saved Peter from a jail with angels. What a cool story that is. Peter was going was to be put to death, and he was ch- so he was chained to all these soldiers and in a jail. And, and an angel came and led him out, and it was such a freaky experience, he just assumed he was dreaming. And all of a sudden, he, the angel disappears, and he's outside going, well, that wasn't all bad. This is kind of fun. But that's the size and the power of who God is. And the perspective on truth, if we really believe God is who he says he is, then that should affect our perspective on time and our perspective on attitude. And I think there's a balance there of God is so big, and yet he's so intimate with us. He's so able to come and say, I want a relationship with you. And some of the times, the things that we have to deal with are the things that we um, people are really good at, at, at deciding what you need to deal with. And so I want to encourage you that, that God should be the judge of what you need to grow, how you need to go, what you need to do, and, and different things. And not just your pastors or your people sitting next to you in your pew or your life group or whatever. That's why it's so important to have the Bible and the Holy Spirit to, to lead and guide you. Uh, the friend across the street, I was talking about the neighbor of mine that um, had some precancerous stuff on his face. And he was talking about the fact that they went through and, and they would shave off just a thin layer of that. And then they would put it in something. I, I picture him putting in some Petri dish thing. I don't know how they do it. But they put it in something and they put some chemical on that. And it shows up. The bad cells change color. And so then they go, okay, there's still bad cells in there. 
Because they've got to get rid of all those bad cells, because even if you take out 98% of the bad cells and leave 2% of the, 2% of the bad ones, those bad ones will recreate themselves and grow and, and cause problems and, and have things that happen in your body that weren't, weren't supposed to be happening. And so they shave that off, just a real thin layer of his, the, the bad cells, and they put this chemical in there, and it, just, and it shows, yeah, there's still, still some bad cells. And so they do that again, and shave it off, and shave it off. And I think that's what God can do for us, is that he can look in our heart and say, here's an area of your life that's got some bad cells in it. And this is maybe a precancerous thing, maybe a pre-judgment thing, maybe it's a pre-argument and complaining thing, it's a pre-whatever thing, or it's a full-blown problem, and there's a big old tumor on your heart. That's maybe a different, different procedure. But God can take that and slice that off and look and say, see, there's still some bad cells in there. And again, I want to encourage you that God is that person who needs to be doing that. I think we're really good at judging and saying, let me slice a piece of your heart. I can show you what's wrong with your heart. And yet God is a God who lovingly does that and is big enough and yet intimate enough for us to be um, a part of that. Hebrews 4 has a great description of this. For the word of God, or the Bible, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, the Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, uns- let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with the confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that a great word picture, a perspective on truth? Jesus has gone through what we've gone through. He knows what it's like to have the perspective on time struggles, perspective of attitude struggles, and the perspective of truth. Because he knows that God is big, and God's word is living and active. It's Nothing is hidden. It's uncovered and bare. We have people all the time say, well, I, I understand that God is truth, but he doesn't know who I am. That's not what God says. But you don't know how bad I am inside. Yeah, I, you're right, I don't, but God does. And he has everything uncovered and laid bare. So uh, let us hold unswervingly to the face we profess. What a great attitude that would be if we can do that. And we know we can approach the throne of, throne of grace with confidence. God is big, and yet he's so intimate that we can come to him and say, God, I want a perspective on truth. I know I understand I need a relationship with you. And that relationship impacts my time, impacts my attitude. A couple more verses and I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, John 14 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, when Jesus had died and rose again and he was ready to go back up into heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God to be your counselor, to encourage you, to challenge you, to convict you, to love you, all of these things. And so the Holy Spirit, again, as we look at this and we say, how can I have a perspective on time? How can I have a perspective on attitude? How can I have a perspective on truth? Well, the Bible is living and active. 
He gives us people that are, have gone through these things and, and makes us a body of Christ and allows us to work together and enjoy each other and, and convict each other and, and challenge each other. But also he gives us the Holy Spirit to do those things, to encourage, to convict, to challenge. God is big, and yet he's intimate enough to care for each and every one of us. And so I want to challenge you as you think about perspectives to, to realize that that perspective of truth is pretty vital. And the fall season for me and for lots of us is, is a new start where we're prioritizing things and we're having perspective on things. And if our perspective on truth is a problem, then the perspective on time and the perspective on tude is also a problem. And so I want to encourage you to, as, we, as you schedule your life, to look at that. Evaluate your schedule. Evaluate what your attitude is. Ask your friends and neighbors how that's working for you. And then to focus on the perspective on truth. And this final verse I just threw in for a bonus, because I think we're weary and tired. And I think God cares about us. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of us, our time is just, we're running. Our attitude is we're, on, we're living in an unpredictable world, and it's just sucking the life out of us. And yet God says, I'm a God of truth. I'm a God of power. And I'm a God that says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So that's my challenge to you today. That's my prayer for you is that as we look at perspective, we figure out what we're doing with time. We're figuring out what we're doing with our attitudes. And I think we're figuring out what, what is our perspective on truth. Let's pray. Lord, I praise you that you are a big God. I praise you that we can come into your presence to speak with you and to talk with you. I praise you that you gave us your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and work in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and we are weary and heavy laden. And you will give us rest. And that you know, having gone through the temptations that we have gone through, what it takes to fix our time and fix our attitude and fix our eyes on you as one true God. And so that's my prayer today, Lord. I just pray that you would work in each of our hearts to give us wisdom on how to do that. In your name I pray. Amen.